Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, dear colleagues. Welcome to APSR webinar entitled Update of COVID-19 Situation in Asian Pacific Region. Only recently, WHO Director General warned that the worst is yet ahead of us in the coronavirus pandemic, raising new alarm bells about the pandemic, just as many countries are beginning to ease restrictive measures. Actually, infected patients have exceeded, exceeded 2.5 million in all the old world and almost 170 million, uh, southern, 170 southern people have died of this disease. Some report says among infected persons, nearly 10% are unfortunately healthcare workers. Principal battlefield appears to shift to Western countries. However, uh, still the number of patients is increasing in most countries, areas in Asian Pacific region. Under limited manpower and infrastructure, health professionals, including chest physicians, are working so hard. I hope this webinar we can share awareness, discovery, and ingenious device, which should be helpful for our battle against this virus. Thank you very much for, for joining us. And uh, I am uh, Yoshina Kanish, uh, president of the APSR. And uh, I would say this program was arranged by uh, great support and help uh, by uh, Dr. Kwon uh, immediate part president of the APSR, and uh, Dr. David Lam, uh, Secretary General with the APSR, and also uh, Dr. Uh, Arata Azuma, the Chairman of the Education Committee. So, uh, Dr. Azuma, uh, could you introduce yourself? Dr. Azuma? Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. Yeah, so please uh, introduce yourself. Yes. Uh, thank you for joining us, uh, everyone, uh, for participants and all audience. Uh, we'd like to share the information and update of COVID-19 today. Thank you very much. OK. So uh, before the beginning of this uh, webinar, I would like to uh, introduce a uh, presenter of uh, this webinar. Uh, first presenter is Dr. Elena Brahan, Indonesia. Uh, she is um, uh, APSR Tuberculosis Assembly Head and a chairman of Indonesian Respiratory Society, Jakarta branch, and uh, now working as a pulmonologist at uh, uh, Pasahabatan General Hospital Medical Faculty, University of Indonesia. And second presenter is Dr. Kuo Chin Kao uh, from Taiwan. He is a APSR, uh, Critical Medicine Assembly Deputy Head, and also the Deputy President of the Taiwan Society of Critical Care Medicine. And third is uh, Dr. Tan Jin Liang from Malaysia. Uh, he is a consultant chest physician, respiratory medicine division, Department of Medicine, University of Malaysia, uh, Malaya Medical Center, Kuala Lumpur. And fourth, uh, Dr. Kondekar Mustak Adnan, Bangladesh. Uh, he is a consultant uh, of the uh, Restaurant Medicine in Central Paul Hospital. And um, uh, Ankara, uh, final presenter is Dr. Dinesh Dasanyake from Sri Lanka. Uh, he is a consultant respiratory physician of the District General Hospital. Uh, Polu Narua. Okay. Uh, anyway, I would uh, express a sincere appreciation uh, to all the presenters here. Thank you very much. So, uh, let me start. The first presenter, uh, Dr. Barham, please. Please start just the presentation. Thank you, Professor Nakanishi, and also Professor Azuma. I would like to uh, present my presentation. Uh, regarding the situation of uh, 
Indonesia uh, COVID-19 uh, situation. So, um, Indonesia is a, a density population with uh, more than 270 million people with uh, 34 province. And our uh, first COVID-19 case in Indonesia is was announced in Jakarta uh, on March 2nd to 20, uh, 2020. Uh, the, those were uh, mother and daughter. And during that time, then we we had uh, clusters. The first one is an imported uh, cluster uh, consisting of two cases with the history of contact with uh, foreign uh, uh, people. And then we also had this cluster from Diamond Princess Cruise. Our two Indonesian uh, cruise was uh, also positive. And uh, nine was hospitalized in Japan and one was hospitalized in Jakarta. And then the last cluster was the World Dream Cruise. Uh, we did uh, quarantine them all in an uh, island next to Jakarta. And current situation, there is, uh, we do not really um, focus on cluster since this is already a community transmission. So this is the situation in uh, uh, Indonesia right now, that uh, we had uh, more than 200,000 people uh, as uh, suspected cases, and out of those being um, tested, uh, we have uh, 7,135 uh, confirmed cases, and uh, more than 5,000 of them being hospitalized, meaning that uh, these are actually the uh, moderate and also uh, severe cases. And uh, we are now uh, a bit happy that the increasing number of uh, recovered uh, patients, which uh, was uh, already 842, uh, but yes, we have uh, also high number of uh, death rate uh, is uh, around, around uh, 8 uh, point something percent. So we have now uh, more than 600 uh, uh, patients uh, that uh, died uh, of this uh, case. And then uh, this slide shows that uh, the cases is uh, uh, exponentially increasing uh, after uh, March uh, 16. And um, even now, it's not yet uh, declining. It's still uh, in a increasing uh, numbers day by day. And this is uh, the report on daily uh, new cases day by day. You can see here that uh, there sometimes there is a bit uh, trend that uh, in one or two days there is a uh, less people being uh, confirmed as a. Uh, positive cases, but then uh, the, the day after that day is increasing again. Yeah. And we can see here also the daily new death in Indonesia. We have a very high number in April 15 and also April 18, but April 20 is, uh, was a bit uh, less, not a bit less, uh, less uh, uh, more than 50%. Yeah. And this is the report from my uh, hospital, Persahabatan Hospital, reside in Jakarta. Uh, Persahabatan Hospital uh, has, uh, it, it, there is a, a very uh, big hospital and uh, we start uh, receiving patients uh, starting uh, from uh, March uh, 4th. And up until now, we already have a uh, Total 386 uh, patients that being um, uh, inpatient, but uh, around more than 200 were uh, eventually uh, yield uh, positive uh, from the PCR result, and the rest are uh, just uh, sub 
suspect and uh, some of them were actually not a uh, COVID. And we do have also uh, some comorbidity. If you see here that uh, uh, out, of, uh, out of those uh, 60, more than 60 patients that uh, died, uh, the com most com comorbidity uh, was hypertension followed by diabetes mellitus and then uh, cardiovascular disease and there is also some uh, geriatric patient elderly patient and uh, some patient uh, having uh, chronic respiratory disease and then uh, also there are some with renal disease obesity and neurology disease and yes the very few with liver disease only one patient with McLean Nancy, but uh, uh, very unfortunately, we have uh, one infant pa uh, patient. Uh, I think uh, he was uh, three months uh, old. And if you want to know what regimen that been using in Indonesia, I think we do all know that there is no specific drug uh, against this. Uh, SARS-CoV-2, but uh, they are uh, said to uh, give the regimen such a chloroquine uh, phosphate, uh, uh, 500 milligram twice uh, daily for uh, five days, and combined with azithromycin, uh, 500 milligram uh, single dose, and if there is a antiviral drug available in the hospital, we choose either oseltamivir or, or Tamiflu. If there is no Tamiflu, then we uh, have a option, uh, Avigan. I think that was uh, donated from Japan, but uh, only uh, uh, several hospital, hospital that uh, uh, being, uh, can assess that uh, Avigan. <coughs> We also give a vitamin, but in our hospital we choose to give vitamin C and also there are some other symptomatic treatment. I think I spent already seven minutes for my presentation. Thank you very much for your attention. Okay, thank you, Dr. Barham. Um, very um, impressive and uh, uh, nice presentation. I was very surprised um, the thing is very, very serious in your country. And um, uh, regarding with, the, I may have a question about uh, uh, treatment. Yes, uh, please. You use uh, chloroquine, azithromycin, apigan, and Tamiflu. And, yeah. um, for me, the uh, uh, effective, uh, effective azithromycin was a, a first time for me uh, to hear about it. How would the impression of uh, uh, effectiveness or effects of this drug do you feel uh, a little bit um, effective or no? <laughs> we have not yet uh, uh -huh. finished uh, evaluating the, this regimen, mm -hmm. but uh, we heard that from other country combining mm -hmm. azithromycin and I see. Mm -hmm. chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine uh -huh. uh, gave a very good result. Mm -hmm. But uh, very recently that I uh, read uh, a journal from Brazil saying that hydroxychloroquine was not effective. So uh -huh. uh, very different in a very country, in different countries. So yeah, and yeah. people gave a, a variety of a regimen. There mm -hmm. is some place in, in Indonesia, they give a, a lopinavir plus ritonavir, uh -huh. aluvia. And um, we probably in a, very soon will also uh, trying to uh, give uh, remdesivir. Mm -hmm. But uh, mm -hmm. it is still in our uh, our uh, Indonesian FDA approval, uh -huh. uh -huh. so we do not have yet. But there is also some uh, discussion of uh, uh, going on in uh, uh, several sites that they mm -hmm. are trying to do this uh, plasma concentration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even in our hospital, we are uh, already finished. Uh, um, uh, finalize the proposal mm -hmm. to do this as a research, but mm -hmm. not as a services. 
Okay, thank you very much. Some of my colleague and together with me, we are going also to apply this stem cell. Ah, stem cell. Yeah, but still, this is as a research, not as a service, a regular or standard treatment. Okay, treatment is very important issue. However, still everything confusing. So I hope that some result of clinical trial. Uh, the, to be open. I, I hope the uh, Western countries, uh, some trials have already uh, finished and um, maybe in the future some more data will be available. And another question is, uh, do you have enough medical supplies such as uh, surgical mask, N95, PPE or anything? How about it? Uh, those are uh, things that are very, very difficult to uh -huh, find. Uh -huh. now, I think that is also have happen in many countries, uh -huh. but uh, yeah, our hospital got a donation not only from uh, mm -hmm. uh, the government, uh -huh. not a donation from government, they have to do it, but we got donation also from uh, mm -hmm. uh, community, society, and uh, institution, but uh, we are still worried about this uh, personal uh, protection equipment. Uh -huh. uh, since uh, the increasing number of cases are still coming. So, yes, if a uh, uh, government of Japan would like to donate to us, please uh, donate uh, uh, N95 uh, mask. Uh, yeah. <laughs> For most countries, thing is very short. <laughs> yeah, but, but, uh, but uh, okay, I, I'll negotiate it. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, so uh, uh, let's uh, let us move on to our next presenter, uh, Dr. Kao from Taiwan. Uh, please start your presentation. Okay. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Uh, I'm nothing to disclose about the conflict of interest. I'm Guo uh, Gao from uh, Chang'e Memorial Hospital, Taiwan. Uh, today I will show some experience uh, uh, about the COVID-19 uh, from Taiwan. Uh, this slide uh, is to give some information about uh, uh, COVID-19 cases reported uh, in the whole world. As we know, uh, on the uh, January 23rd, the Wuhan city is locked down. So uh, in the January and the February, lots of cases reported from China. However, in March, a lot of cases reported from uh, Asia, European, and the USA. And you can see a lot of pa uh, patients reported. Until to yesterday, uh, about 2.5 million cases reported. And uh, with the number rate, about 6.8%. And uh, this slide shows the newly confirmed case after one 100 cases uh, from the different country. You can see the trend uh, of the USA, Spain, Germany, and the Italy. It looks uh, the smooth or flattened or the, uh, decreased the case. However, in Singapore and the Japan, you can see the trend is still going up and the increase. Uh, in Hong Kong and the Taiwan, the case uh, is a relative, uh, uh, is not so many. And this slide showed uh, how uh, many, uh, what's the important control measures in Taiwan to prevent the community uh, transmission of COVID-19. And uh, you can see that on the uh, January 20, uh, the Taiwan government activated the Central Epidemiological Command Center. And later states, uh, we implement the home quarantine for travelers from uh, many uh, cities or countries. And we also uh, travel uh, apply the travel restriction to many uh, countries and the area and extend to the, uh, many countries later. And uh, you can see the, uh, on the uh, February uh, 12th, and we enhanced the surveillance and extended the home quarantine to travel from South Korea and uh, uh, many countries later. So in the March, 
you can see we increase the travel alert from level one even to the level three from the different country and finally uh, in the on the uh, March 20th we increase the travel alert level three to the whole world. Let's, uh, this is the uh, many important control major in Taiwan and also you can see most of the cases are imported from other countries. Only few cases, uh, you can see the yellow bar, is, were locally acquired. And in the, uh, only uh, until to the April uh, 16, we have uh, the case number was 395. And also, uh, you can see the most of cases are imported and the only few cases are locally acquired. And how about the characteristic of these uh, 395 patients? You can see uh, most patients are female and uh, these patients are quite young. The median age around 33 and the only 50% patient was 60 years old. Also, uh, most patients uh, was imported from other countries, the most common uh, the most, the number one is the United States, followed by the UK. And also, uh, the, the, how about the distribution in the instance by age? You can see the uh, distribution, distribution by age, the most common uh, is 20 to 29 years old. It's the same by instance, uh, also the 20 to 29 patient is the most common. So how about the, the uh, severity and the prognosis? Uh, you can see around the 70% patient is mild illness and the 22% with mild pneumonia and the only 7.6% patient have the severe pneumonia or ARDS. In terms of, of the mortality, you can see the only 1.5% uh, mortality rate, uh, only 6% died uh, in these 395 patients. So how to respond to the COVID-19 in Taiwan? And you can, if you want to see that in detail, you can look at JAMA published on the March 3 in this, part, in this article. Uh, we use uh, many methods, including the big data analysis, new technology, and the proactive testing. First, we have to, we, uh, have to uh, recognize the crisis, followed by the managing the crisis. We use the border control, case identification and the containment. Also, we use the resource allocations. I think the most important is to communicate with the public. So we use the uh, reassure and the educate the public. Also, uh, we fight the misinformation. And then uh, on the January uh, 23rd, we established the Central Epidemic Command Center, CECC. Uh, the CECC has conducted daily press briefings uh, on PM2 account, and the, which is chaired by the commander to release COVID-19 related information to the public. Mass media, such television, poster, and the radio, as well as the social media, such as Facebook, Line, Twitter, have also been extensively used for public education. And uh, this announcement included social distance measures, when to wear to wear a mask, and the importance of hand washing to prevent community transmission. However, we still have a challenge. Just a couple of days ago, on April 19, uh, we have 21 patient confirmed case from a Navy uh, ship. So we still have to work hard to fight the COVID-19, uh, this uh, very uh, hard work. And thank you very much for your attention. Okay, thank you, Dr. Kao. The uh, Taiwan, in case of Taiwan, this is the most successful case in the world. So I was really impressed with uh, your um, uh, presentation and also the system of Taiwan. And I have, um, uh, I got a uh, question from the uh, audience. Um, question, how is your experience with treating acute kidney injury, which dialysis modality, for example, CRRT, 
it should be the continuous renal replacement therapy are preferred? This is a question. How about it? In the, for the COVID-19, uh, your patient with acute, in, acute kidney injury needed uh, uh, renal uh, replacement therapy. Uh, in terms of the uh, prevention or protection our healthcare worker, I think uh, you have to choose the uh, intermittent hemodialysis first. And uh, uh, if the patient's condition, the hemodynamic is stable, I think there's no problem. We, have, we can choose the intermittent hemodialysis. However, if the patient patient's hemodynamic is not so stable, uh, for example, maybe the systolic blood pressure around the 80 to 100 milli, milli mercury. Maybe you can choose one uh, of the intermittent hemodialysis, such as the extended daily hemodialysis. Mm -hmm. That means uh, you can apply the hemodialysis every day, every day. So you can prolong the uh, duration of, of the dialysis time and achieve the adequate blood pressure. Of course, if the patient's uh, hemodynamic is very unstable, you have to choose the uh, continuous radial replacement therapy. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion. Thank okay. you. Thank you. So anyway, you mean the, it all depends on the uh, condition of patients, okay? Yes. And another con uh, question is that, what is the renal pathophysiology in the uh, real pathophysiology in the COVID-19 disease process. It might be a little bit difficult question. Uh, how yeah. about your comments? Yes, that's a very difficult uh, question. But uh, uh, I, I, I searched one paper from uh, uh, critical care and the intensive care medicine uh, by the uh, Gattinoni from Italy. Uh, he uh, posed uh, one hypothesis to describe mm -hmm. the pathophysiology of COVID-19 pneumonia. He uh, differentiated two kinds of the uh, uh, phenotype, the type one and the type two. And the type one also called the uh, uh, low, low type. That means uh, this patient will have the vessel uh, pressure. Vessel pressure means the, uh, the loss of the vessel contraction uh, when has hypoxemia. So the characteristics were low elastins with high compliance, low shunt, low lung weight, low recordability, and the poor response to the PIP. However, in the other group, in the other uh, phenotype, is the H-type or type two. And uh, this patient characteristic will be high elastance with low compliance, and the high shunting, high lung weight, high recordability, and also response to PIP. So this type two is very similar to the traditional severe ARDS. So maybe uh, you, you can use the uh, many modality to treat uh, uh, ARDS, such as the low tidal volume, higher PIP, recruit maneuver, even the uh, inhale NO or proposition of the ECMO for this type two uh, uh, COVID-19 pneumonia. Okay, that's so until now, this is still uh, mm -hmm. a hypothesis. Uh -huh. so, yeah, we, we need a more information, yeah. Okay, thank you very uh, suggestive information. Uh, anyway, uh, if we can make clear the pathophysiology and or we classify the some type, we would be able to reach the uh, more suitable, uh, more fitable treatment method modality, okay? Yes. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay, then uh, we'd like to move on to our next presenter. Uh, next presenter is uh, Dr. Tan from Malaysia. Dr. Pam, Tan, please. Okay, uh, good evening everyone. Um, I'm Dr. Tan from Malaysia. Uh, thank you APSR uh, for giving this opportunity to me to share the condition regarding COVID-19 in Malaysia. Uh, okay, so on March 11, WHO announced that COVID-19 had became a pandemic. Uh, one week later, on March 18, our government um, started this movement control order. Uh, 
during this movement control order, we are required to stay at home and only allowed to travel out to get our daily essentials. So there are a lot of roadblocks everywhere um, and uh, people are forbidden to go, um, free, go out freely actually. And those who violated this order will be fined or even in prison actually. So um, this movement control order was actually further extended another two weeks in April and now we are in the six week period which is uh, movement control order three. Uh, during the second phase, um, the government also introduced this uh, enhanced movement control order whereby um, those areas with um, a lot of cases uh, of COVID-19 will be put on total lockdown, meaning no movement allowed in this area at all. So all the streets, you can see all this picture here uh, in KL, in Kuala Lumpur, all the streets are actually relatively quite empty. So all the business actually stop, uh, have to be stopped at this period of time. So in Malaysia, um, just a bit briefly, how do we manage all these COVID-19 patients? Um, we admit all those who have um, confirmed COVID-19 positive patients from the uh, RT-PCR testing, uh, whether they are mouse symptomatic or whether they are actually asymptomatic, as long as they are COVID-19 is positive, we'll admit them to the designated COVID hospital and will be managed mainly by the infectious disease physician. But in our center, in University of Malaysia Medical Center, uh, it's a joint management between chest team and as well as the ID team. Uh, those who are asymptomatic or mild symptoms, usually we just on surveillance. We do not give them treatment. But those came with pneumonia, um, evidence of pneumonia on x-rays, or those um, high-risk population like those elderly patients uh, or those with comorbidity, we tend to start them on uh, some form of treatments uh, earlier, actually. So these are following list. These are the treatment that have been used in, in Malaysia, which include hydroxychloroquine, uh, tocilizumab, Caletra, recombinant interferon beta 1, uh, beta, low-dose metalprednisolone uh, in some cases. Uh, for tocilizumab, which is the uh, interleukin IL-6 uh, inhibitor, we usually give it for patients with suspect cytokine storm. We look at uh, CRP level, the ferritin, as well as the clinical parameters. Um, let me just share one or two cases that we, uh, that we started this patient on tocilizumab. Um, this first patient here, this is a 48 years old male, came with day 8 illness, came with cough, shortness of breath for 3 days. He came in quite bad actually, quite hypoxic, 89% uh, on high flow mass. He was immediately intubated in our emergency. And later on was admitted to ICU, was found to have a very severe myocarditis, uh, acute renal failure with hepatitis. On the next day, after we got the CRP or the troping eye, we started on hydroxychloroquine and also we gave a dose of tocilizumab. You can see here, after the tocilizumab was given, the parameters actually came down very rapidly. You can see the x-ray on admission here. It's very uh, diffuse lung changes. Three days later, some of these changes almost gone. And uh, he actually survived this. Four days later, we managed to activate him into high-flow nasal cannula, and he was eventually discharged one week later. Um, just to show you uh, the second case, um, a 59 years old uh, male, uh, came at day eight illness as well, cough for one week, shortness of breath for five days, came with actually uh, saturation of 88% on nasal prong, um, not too bad, so he's not intubated, but he was admitted to ICU. Uh, this is his x-ray on admission. After we got the uh, blood test, we also given him this hydroxychloroquine as well, tocilizumab, because of very high peritin and very high CRP. Uh, we managed to actually, he survived these episodes, um, we put him on high flow nasal cannula, uh, on the 1st of April. And three days later, we managed to take it off. And subsequently, another three days, he was discharged home. So in this case, um, just to show you, um, this patient actually avoided intubations, survived, no, not need mechanical ventilation at all. So we just put him on high flow nasal cannula and he just um, go through these episodes. And uh, what are the situation now in Malaysia? I think um, initially in March, um, some of the statisticians actually predicted will pick our cases will pick someone in uh, uh, mid of April. But what is the situation now? Uh, you can see the graph here. Uh, we actually relatively uh, getting more flatter now. Um, look at the cases, cases that discharge, cases of active. Uh, you can see here, uh, the patient, uh, there are more discharges compared to those are actively treated in, in, in our hospital. And uh, the cure rate now is actually approximately 61% uh, with patients that recovered more than those patients that's in active treatment. And in our populations, those who are getting this COVID-19 pneumonia are mostly male 
and elderly and those with comorbids. Uh, lastly, uh, I think um, as our Director General of Health have mentioned, we have not won the war yet, but neither have we lost the war yet. Together, I think we can still flatten the curve. I think everybody just stay safe and thank you so much. Okay, thank you, Dr. Tan. Very nice presentation. And uh, things look getting better. And mm -hmm. uh, I got a, a question from the audience. Question one, may I have your comments or suggestion regarding with, number one, current post-COVID-19 follow-up. And number two, monitoring of potential reinfection. Uh, currently, all our patients that um, discharge from hospital, um, we are giving them three months follow-up in our um, clinics just to monitor their lung functions. And uh, those who have hepatitis, we'll just monitor their, uh, their liver functions uh, uh, just to see whether there's any changes. Mm -hmm. uh, currently, um, they are, we do not check for reinfection, but those who discharge, we do get, give them some advice what to look for, uh, what are the signs that they, they should uh, pay attention to if let's say they develop the symptom back what they should do and uh, we actually encourage them to actually strictly stay at home uh, keep social distancing uh, do pro hand hygiene regularly and then do uh, actually do you experience uh, some case with uh, reinfection so far okay. no not in no. Malaysia. Uh -huh. yeah. okay we don't have that yet and another question is how about infection rates in healthcare workers Okay, um, I have some statistics. Maybe let me just share some slides. Okay, so uh, as of 10th of April, um, we have about 224 healthcare workers that was reported to be positive for COVID. But for the investigation so far, none of these cases actually caught the infection from the uh, COVID patient itself. Means when they are on duty in the mm -hmm. COVID ward or ICU, none of them actually got it from the, those patients in the hospital. Uh, where do they get from? About 67% of them get, get it from community, meaning uh, they was attending some, uh, in close contact with a positive case that they are not sure of. And 18% uh, of them actually got it from patients that come in with SARI. Um, some of our patients, they do not disclose uh, their condition, their, where's, their travel, where's their travel history to the doctors. So when they are intubated, then only we do the test, then they found to be COVID. So they was exposed to these patients without a proper PTE. So hence was uh, infected. Uh, compared to in our hospital, in my center, we have 17 healthcare workers that was infected. 30% um, of spawn community. Another 70% actually infected from another from, from handling patient of unknown status. Mm -hmm. So you can see if the patient don't tell us uh, truthfully what happened to them, they can actually uh, they, do, they don't want proper PPE. Some of these patients, uh, healthcare workers may get the COVID infection. But so far, as of our hospital, none of the healthcare workers that on duty in the ward get this uh, infection actually. Okay, thank you. It's a very, very important information. So anyway, the most serious or dangerous factor is not inside, but outside. Yes. Okay. Okay, thank you very much, Dr. Tan. Very nice uh, presentation. Thank you. So uh, we'd like to move on to the next presenter, uh, Dr. Adnan uh, Bangladesh. Dr. Adnan, please. Dr. Adnan? No. Okay. No? Good afternoon. I'm, I'm Dr. Khandakar Mustak Adnan, working as a consultant in the Central Police Hospital of Bangladesh in the capital of Dhaka and okay. uh, also as an executive member of Bangladesh Lung Foundation. I want to in, uh, uh, I start my presentation. Yes, please. Yeah. Now, in uh, our country, the first case was uh, discovered on the 8th of March, uh, worker working in Italy, returning back to uh, his own country, and he was first test positive as COVID-19. Then, uh, and uh, still now on, we are in the sixth week of our 
infection and now we have total 3772 cases among which uh, 120 patient has been died and uh, total cured number of patient is 92 and total test which is uh, performed is 32674 uh, we uh, you all know that our country is a very highly densely populated country 18 crore people live in only 170000 uh, square kilometer area and a, this uh, total uh, map of bangladesh ge geographical map shown that uh, the total country is divided in 64 districts and 44 districts have already been affected by COVID-19. And in the capital city of Dhaka, we have 12 hotspots where uh, each hotspot act as an uh, highly uh, suspect, uh, highly transmissible uh, cases and uh, more than 50 cases in each hotspots. Now, uh, this is the uh, uh, card showing that we have uh, started uh, testing from uh, March 8th, but uh, in the initial stage of the phase, the case number is very much low, but starting from April 7th, the case number is increasing. And today, uh, on the April 19th, there are 492 cases. And uh, today, the recent update is uh, the uh, new number of cases is 390 and total death in the last 24 hours is 10. Uh, the newly cured is five, only five patients has been cured and uh, RT-PCR case has been done uh, 2,309. Uh, this is the date-wise confirmation of the cases that you can see that uh, from the 4th April, the surge has been, the uh, curve has been in uh, linear curve is uprising and in April 20, it's 492. Uh, initially, the number of tests was very low in our country due to some uh, financial and logistic support. Whenever the number of tests has been increased, the total number of uh, cases is also increasing. Uh, this is the uh, treatment uh, flow, uh, overview of a treatment flow. Uh, you, you will be uh, very sorry to know that or the uh, in 18 crore of people or population of country we have only 50,000 doctors, 25,000 works in government sector, and 25,000 works in the private sector, and uh, only uh, 10 hospitals has been set up by the government for treatment of this uh, Corona COVID-19 patients. Among 300, uh, 3772 cases, 11, 1. 1100 patient has already been admitted in the hospital among which 67 patient are in icu and in my hospital total 148 uh, patients has been admitted among which uh, seven patient are still in icu uh, this is the current scenario where we can show you can see that 600 uh, physician has been involved in the treatment of uh, covid-19 cases and this is the uh, picture showing that the number of isolation beds has been already set up uh, in which the suspect cases has been isolated and the total lockdown situation had been uh, started from 25th of March and uh, this lockdown is uh, not appropriately uh, applied in, in the people because uh, the uh, more than 35% of the population live here from hand mouth. They have to come out from their home to earn their livelihood. And this is the, uh, we have also very much scarcity of the personal protective equipments. Uh, new study has been done by Brack University's James P. Grant School of Public Health on 18th of April. They showed that 25% of the doctors and nurses uh, and around 60% of the supporting staff engaged in treating the COVID patients are yet to receive any personal protective equipments. Although the WHO recommends that PP should be used once and then destroyed. And this has created a, a huge dilemma among the healthcare workers, how they would be able to use their equipment and uh, it also causes them great stress and anxiety. Uh, till date, 170 doctors have been confirmed positive for corona patients. Most probably the cause of two, one is the lack of perfect PP, standard PP, and the other is lack of education. 
uh, we the executives of uh, bangladesh lung foundation had already started uh, philanthropically uh, the supply of pp uh, by our funding uh, external funding and other and also we are uh, creating a group to teach educate the junior doctors about the perfect management of the covid 19 patient by saving himself or herself uh, this is the uh, age distribution of the reported confirmed cases you can see by this graph that the pat uh, uh, the pattern of involvement in the population is very opposite than what we have seen in other areas of the world and here the 21 to 30 uh, age group has been affected 21 percent and 31 to 40 is 19 percent and 41 to uh, 50 is uh, 15 percent that means 21 to 50 a uh, 40 age group is the highest affected uh, age group in covid by bangladesh and these are the people who are engaged in earning for the family and that's a huge dilemma arises lives versus livelihood what will they earn they will earn the life or they will earn the livelihood and the world economic forum shows that for bangladesh covid 19 is a humanitarian crisis with public health dimension if large scale prolonged physical distancing is required then government must find the way to mitigate the economic shock and because the majority of the country will uh, flow into the food insecurity within few weeks the urban poor, uh, poor people who live off their daily wages will have to already has started skipping their meals thus they will gradually enter into the vicious cycle of malnutrition also in this horrendous situation we have some good news also uh, many ngos and many uh, foundation has come forward for uh, sub, uh, helping these people they are arranging funds to uh, buy the ppes standard ppes and also uh, the government has declared two months basic salary incentive for the healthcare workers and doctors uh, local manufacturers are uh, started commencing production of the ppes and some mechanical ventilators and uh, uh, unhcr has started a 150 bed isolation and treatment center in ukhia Bajar. you all know that we have a large number of rohingya refugees uh, from myanmar and still no case has been identified among them it's a great news because uh, if they would be affected by covid 19 then they live such an congested area large amount of population that people would have been affected by covid 19 and huge death uh, could have been occurred uh, some non-government organization has come forward sajida foundation has dedicated a 30 bed hospital in Aranganj. Aranganj is also close to Dhaka and hotspots for covid 19. Okay, thank you very much, Dr. Adnan. Um, I'm really sorry to hear that uh, 170 physician was infected with COVID-19, but I hope the um, more help, uh, not only about government, but uh, the organization uh, will be uh, reached to uh, your country. And I have one question. When and how to use NIV in hypoxemic respiratory failure in COVID-19 patients? How about you? Uh, uh, we uh, are depending upon uh, data, the researches that has been going on uh, our population. We still have not started any trial in our country. Uh, uh, according to data, we are managing our pa uh, patients in our hospital. We already I have already told that we have 67 patients in ICUs and seven patients in my ICU also. And uh, the method we are following that we are start uh, starting with low flow nasal cannula. Mm -hmm. If that is not maintaining, we are going through high flow nasal cannula mm -hmm. and CPAP. And if high flow nasal, uh, when the patient in the ward, in uh, the area where the high flow nasal cyst cannula system is applied, the uh, doctors and healthcare workers must have to wear an airborne PPE. That means high fitted N95 mask. Although the chance of transmission through high flow nasal cannula is very less, but a different trials have been shown it. And uh, we are not using BiPAP, we are using CPAP because uh, CPAP helps us in two ways. One mm -hmm. is by using CPAP, we can easily titrate the FiO2 against the SpO2 of the patient. And another is uh, we have to, uh, can easily monitor the tidal volume and the minute ventilation of, by using CPAP. And uh, then uh, if these two methods are not adequate, then we start awake position, uh, prone positioning of the patient. And uh, when the awake prone position is not effective, and we immediately 
do the uh, FI2 requirement and ABG. If the PO2 FI2 ratio is less than 300, we uh, have to go through for the intubation. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. So uh, then we move on to the uh, last presenter, presenter Dr. Uh, Dasan Yake from Sri Lanka. So Dr. Dasan Yake, please start your presentation. I'm Dr. Dinesh Tassanayaka, consultant for respiratory situation from Poland, Narwal. I'm going to uh, give you an update on uh, the situation in Sri Lanka. Uh, before even the start of uh, the epidemic here, actually, I would like to make the national task force on COVID-19. So, it started on 26 February 2020. Uh, first important case was reported in Sri Lanka on 27 February. Was a Chinese national who was uh, traveling as a tourist. Uh, since then, there had been air travel uh, screening at the airport with restrictions and quarantine for travelers from high risk countries was enforced, and then uh, quarantine centers were established in many cases in Sri Lanka. Then, uh, first local case uh, was reported on 11th March 2020, and then uh, since then, schools have been closed and uh, public holiday and work from home began. From Excuse me, Dr. Dasan. Doctor, uh, could you share your slide, please? I hope you can see the slides now. Yeah, we got it. Please. Yeah, okay. So, this is the first slide. So, uh, so work from home began on 16th March and uh, inbound flights were cancelled on 17th March and uh, lockdown curfew was actually imposed on uh, 19th March. Uh, since then, uh, uh, the government had uh, set up uh, COVID isolation centers about 18 throughout the country and the testing capacity was expanded uh, throughout the country. So uh, this is today's report. So we have uh, total cases of 321 patients at the moment, and 104 of them have recovered. And uh, there were seven deaths. And uh, actually, uh, we haven't had any deaths for the last uh, 10 days or so. Uh, and the case fatality rate is around 2.1%, so compared to uh, some of the other countries. And um, active cases at the moment is uh, uh, sorry, 210, and there's one patient in ICU at the moment. The uh, highest number of patients uh, was from Colombo, the capital, it was 110. And uh, it's very interesting to know that most of the uh, new cases, new patients, uh, rather new cases, are asymptomatic contacts of uh, previously found uh, patients. They have no symptoms, but they, they are tests were positive. And actually, uh, last 24 hours, we have detected about 33 uh, such uh, cases, and only two symptomatic patients were found in the last 48 hours. Uh, and uh, epidemiology unit has uh, declared that uh, their epidemic level is level three, and there's no community spread at the moment, but there are community, uh, small clusters of uh, cases occurring around the uh, previously diagnosed patients in Salam. So our treatment center is actually situated about 300 kilometers away from Colombo. Uh, this was uh, set up because uh, uh, at the beginning, quarantine centers were put around Polonaru uh, area. So there were uh, 2,660 uh, uh, 2, uh, people quarantined in these quarantine centers out of that 2,669. Uh, was positive for COVID-19, and uh, at the moment, all the remaining quarantine are 970. Out of that uh, 89 patients, uh, 66 patients were treated in our center, and uh, out of that, 51.6% uh, were females and 48.4% uh, were males. And the average, uh, uh, the age of females was 42, and male it was 37. Uh, the age uh, is somewhat uh, some of the countries, but uh, they are younger than the Wuhan population. Uh, 
age range goes from nine years to ninety-four years. So when you take the travel and contact history, uh, most of the patients, fifty-one point five percent of them, were close contact of COVID for two patients uh, returning from Italy. Uh, uh, just uh, thirty-one patients returning from Italy, forty-six point nine, and one returning from Qatar. And most importantly, uh, out of all the cases, sixty-two point one percent were asymptomatic contact of uh, the patients, and only thirty-one point nine patients had symptoms. So when you look at the symptoms, most of the patients had uh, multiple symptoms, combining cough, fever, and headache. Uh, the commonest individual symptom was cough, followed by fever, headache, myalgia, sore throat, sore throat, diarrhea, and chest pain. We didn't have any patients presenting with neurological symptoms or uh, eye symptoms. And most of our patients did not have any comorbidities. Fifty-six uh, percent did not have the common comorbidities for diabetes, hypertension. And dyslipidemia, uh, bronchial asthma, and combined multiple comorbidities. So, uh, when you look at the disease progression, out of symptomatic uh, 25 patients, 20 of them have a mild disease, and uh, uh, four patients had moderate disease uh, with pneumonia, and only one patient uh, progressed to ARDS, requiring ICU admission and ventilation. The management protocols we used were for asymptomatic contacts and mild disease. We used HCQ and symptomatic uh, management and observation uh, was used. Uh, for moderate disease, we used HCQ uh, plus antibiotics for uh, uh, community acquired pneumonia and observation. Uh, and the discharge criteria we used were fever and uh, 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 sorry, fever and symptom free for 72 hours, and two consecutive PCR done after four, uh, 14 days negative. And uh, repeat PCR was done on 14th day, and it's negative. A third PCR on 48 hours after the uh, second one. If both are negative, we send them for home quarantine. But uh, uh, five of our patients had uh, positive PCR even after 14 days. Uh, so one patient uh, had severe disease. This is a 44-year-old male who was a smoker. He suffered from asthma during childhood. He was a returning from Italy. Uh, he came with fever and myalgia and cough and had ongoing fever and uh, deteriorated on day six. He developed respiratory failure and he had to be intubated. He was treated with uh, HCQ, convalescent plasma, and broad-spectrum uh, antibiotics. Uh, he received a uh, single dose of tocilizumab. Uh, and ventilated for eight days, but he died of severe respiratory failure. At the moment, uh, currently we have uh, 43 active cases, and uh, 14, uh, 22 have been discharged, and uh, one death uh, leading to 1.4 percent death rate, uh, which is uh, lower than any other uh, countries in the world. But uh, we have four modes of uh, life isolation and quarantine, helping us to uh, combat the epidemic at the moment. Quarantine centers, home quarantine. Isolation centers in, uh, and as well as sick patients in wards and hospital itself is going to have a bit at the moment. So that's current status in Sri Lanka at the moment. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Dinesh Desanyake. Uh, in Sri Lanka. Uh, Uh, still, the uh, shoreline protection or operation is effective. I feel so. Anyway, I hope uh, the thing is getting better. And um, uh, I have a uh, one question: What is the place of steroid and plasma in COVID? Yeah. Uh, so uh, for both of these uh, treatments, uh, there are no uh, randomized controlled trials at the moment. I think take the steroid uh, uh, test uh, per se. There are case series uh, uh, which are published in non-peer-reviewed uh, journals, but uh, 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 which have shown there's reduced duration of supplemental oxygen and uh, chest X-ray improvement in some of the cohorts uh, in China. And uh, there is indirect evidence from other studies as well and the past experience. However, in viral pneumonia uh, without ARDS, uh, steroids have uh, shown more harm and increased mortality. And it also has shown that increased viral shedding uh, 
uh, on studies done during the MERS uh, epidemic. So, uh, however, there's a retrospective cohort analysis done in China, which has uh, shown that in patients with COVID-19 plus ARDS, there's a risk of, uh, sorry, uh, reduced mortality mm. if you use uh, methylprednisolone. So, there's a weak recommendation uh, of using uh, methylprednisolone or steroids for patients uh, with COVID-19 plus ARDS uh, for a short course and a short duration of time. The methylprednisolone uh, doses they have used is one milligram uh, uh, per kg per day for five to seven days. Uh, and if there are separate indications for uh, steroids like bronchiolitis, COPD exacerbation, then of course we can use, but uh, it's not recommended uh, for routine use. Similar with uh, convalescent plasma, uh, there are no randomized control trials, but uh, uh, meta-analysis on viral pneumonia in the past have shown that reduced mortality with convalescent plasma. That's why it was trialed. Uh, uh, but uh, studies on MERS and influenza, there was uh, no convincing evidence for increased uh, mortality. Uh, there's no evidence, uh, like uh, no data for efficacy and safety uh, uh, on this uh, treatment as well. But there are case series in China uh, on COVID patients published in JAMA, where they have uh, used conversion plasma and uh, uh, they have given five patients and they have shown that uh, there's reduced viral load and increased antibody level at day 28. So there's a weak recommendation again. Uh, we can use this not for routine use, but uh, may use in severe life-threatening COVID, but they don't have to be um, uh, 14 days post-PCR negative, and he should be asymptomatic for 28 days and negative with chile, and uh, he should have a neutralizing antibody uh, of more than one over 160 So those are the patients. Uh, with, the, uh, with the developing evidence, this might change, but uh, the current evidence, those mm -hmm. are the Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Denis Lasanyake. Okay, uh, thank you for uh, excellent and informal uh, presentation uh, to all the uh, presenters. And uh, Professor Asma, uh, could you please uh, summarize this webinar? Yes, thank you. Thank you very much for all, all participants. And uh, on behalf of the your society, very uh, enthusiastic discussion. Uh, I briefly summarize, summarize uh, uh, this uh, uh, conference. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, in some country, uh, initial success in uh, fighting against the COVID-19, but uh, most of others foremost uh, important uh, would be uh, engagement of public observing healthcare measuring uh, healthcare measures uh, like uh, wearing surgical mask and hand, hand hygiene and social distance. This is a very basic uh, important things in the society. Communication and uh, collaboration at a multiple level. A government and society. Oh, sorry. Uh, can, can you hear me? Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, yeah I can hear you. Okay. Uh, uh, communication and the collaboration on the multiple level, a government and the society and the community level. All of these are, are very uh, important in this social uh, public health. And healthcare professional is also important things. Next slide. But uh, I think it's a very uh, most important things uh, uh, medical problem. Uh, somebody uh, mentioned uh, uh, pathology of the COVID-19 is uh, nobody knows, still uh, nobody knows. So uh, uh, investigation of the pathology of the uh, COVID-19 is very important things. Uh, there is a two phase uh, respiratory condition might be rapidly progressive and fatal patient. This is one. 
And the second thing is, uh, uh, but other, most of uh, patient COVID positive, but the silent and mild disease. This is very problem in the society. So one of the most important targets uh, in therapy is a reduction of severe and uh, fatal condition. Uh, Dr. Tan, uh, Dr. Kao mentioned the uh, hemodialysis possibility. And Dr. Tan uh, mentioned the cytokine storm removing possibility in the future problem. So uh, we, uh, in Japan is also, uh, we try to uh, possibility of a blood purification uh, before ECMO. In the future, uh, we try to uh, reduce the risk of mortality for the purpose of the uh, uh, overcoming uh, this virus. We'd like to uh, share the information of COVID-19 management, uh, uh, reading to win the fight against the virus. So thank you very much for all participants uh, on this uh, conference. Uh, we, uh, I would like to close the session. In the future, uh, next week, uh, we would like to, uh, next meeting, it's okay. Uh, to keep, keep in touch with us.